word does he succeed? Our scripture reading follows that message in the text is in Jeremiah chapter 23. So please turn there in your Bibles and stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Jeremiah 23. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand. They'll bring a Bible to you that you can use throughout the service this morning. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's word. Jeremiah 23, please follow along with me as I read aloud. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declare the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be, they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought us out, who brought up, excuse me, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries from where He had driven them, then they shall dwell in their land, in their own land. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me; all my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine, because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land mourns, and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil, and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore, their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. In the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me, and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. And from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesied to you, filling you with vain hopes. 
They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth. A whirling tempest will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Have I heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophet, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declares and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. When one of this people or prophet or priest asks you, what is the burden of the Lord? You shall say to them, you are the burden. And I will cast you off, declares the Lord. And as for the prophet, priest, or one of the people who says the burden of the Lord, I will punish that man in his household. Thus shall you say, everyone to his neighbor and everyone to his brother, what has the Lord answered? Or what has the Lord spoken? But the burden of the Lord you shall mention no more. For the burden is every man's own word. And you pervert the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Thus you shall say to the prophet, what has the Lord answered you? Or what has the Lord spoken? But if you say the burden of the Lord, thus says the Lord, because you have said these words, the burden of the Lord, when I sent to you saying, you shall not say the burden of the Lord, therefore behold, I will surely lift you up and cast you away from my presence and the city that I gave you and your fathers. And I will bring upon you everlasting reproach and perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten. Let us listen to 
give attention to the word of God. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. We thank you, Father, for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would direct our hearts to listen, to hear, to understand, and to act in obedience to your word, to the warning that you give. We pray for Elder Brian as he presents your word today, that you give him clarity of thought to present your truth so that we might hear what you have to say. We thank you for your people that are gathered here today. We thank you for opening our eyes this morning to wake us up, to bring us here to worship. Now we pray, Lord, that you would make our ears attentive, that we might hear what it is you have to say. We pray your blessing, your healing on those who are sick or who need healing, Lord. We just pray that you would watch over your people. Several who have um, just had needs this week, we pray, Lord, that you attend to. Um, we think of Nick right now who has some type of stomach ailment. We pray that you would bless, heal, and protect him. Thank you for all of his family that's here, made it out here, Lord, how they have showed their faithfulness. We thank you for that, for Patty and, and for their children. We pray that you would watch over them. Um, Lord, we pray for Annette and just some of the, the trouble physically that she has had, Lord. We pray that you would just continue to watch over, bless, heal, and give insight to her care so that, so that um, um, you can give her that best care. We pray most of all, Lord, you'd help her to trust wholeheartedly on you, knowing, Lord, that you have her, you've always had her in your hand, and you will keep her. And, Lord, we just pray that each of us might um, just be mindful to trust you in whatever situation we get in. As we cry out to you, we cry out with faith, with trust and hope and and uh, accepting your purpose, your will, and, and what you led in our lives and glorifying you in all that we do. We thank you for Sister Brenda, Lord, asking you to watch over her and be with her, Lord, to, to, to uh, bring about healing in her body and give her that, that mind to continue to be faithful in serving you, Lord. So we pray, Lord, that you might, she might know that you care for her that she is in your hand and in your care and we thank you for that lord we pray for so many others lord who go through day-to-day -day ailments weaknesses challenges even frustrations with this physical life we we pray that we will give it all over to you that we will look forward to that time when we will no longer dwell in tents of flesh but we will dwell with you in eternal bodies that you have prepared for us so, Lord, we, may we be faithful until that time. We pray for the strength of this church that you might have caused us to continue to uh, let you minister through us and that you might bring boys and girls, men and women, to Christ, to trust in you, to faithfully serve in you so that your gospel can continue to go out. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And it's good to be back with you guys this week. It was a pleasure to bring the word in Burlington, but it's nothing like home. And I thank God for putting a word in my mouth today. As I get to preach God's word, which I love to do. And the title of today's message is God's Word is Serious, so take it seriously. 
And we get to look at a prophetic book, and we get the joy of hearing from God directly. I think the thing I love about the prophets is that it's almost like you get God, and you know, it's not like he ever says anything bad, but I like to say unedited, right? You get the director's cut of God. And in the book of Jeremiah, we got this theme, this melodic line that God's word always come true. So take his word seriously. God's word always comes true. So he will always, in the book of Jeremiah, it's, it's funny how it's put together. Because it's put together in such a way that he just keeps emphasizing that, hey, God said this was going to happen, and then it happened. God said this king would go down if he wouldn't obey God, and next thing you know, he went down. And so he puts the book in such a way that you keep looking at it, you say, my goodness, Jeremiah, you're ruthless. He said, it's not me, brother, it's not me. It's God's word. Don't play games with God's word. And I love Jeremiah 23 because it's a message to the modern-day church. Filled with many people who would speak for God, but precious few have stood in his counsel. And the context of what we're going to see here is started in Jeremiah 22, where Jeremiah was very gentle talking about the current king when he called him wicked, useless, and worthy of God's mockery. And this is the quote that he said, uh, that he quoted God about the king. He said, he shall return here no more, but in a place where they carried him captive, there he shall die, and he shall never see this land again. Woe to him who builds a house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Do you think you are a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? And then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy, and then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord? But you have eyes and heart only for dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, and for practicing oppression and violence. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, ah, my brother, or ah, sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, ah, Lord, or ah, his majesty. But with the burial of a donkey shall he be buried, dragged to dump beyond the gates of Jerusalem. So the prophet, you know, prophets and kings don't get along. And the main reason is because kings like to be treated with a certain level of respect. And the prophets only serve one king. And so they really don't have time to respect anybody else like that. And in this chapter, the prophet is going to move from the king to his rivals. And so let's just read the first four verses of chapter 23. And he says this. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Therefore, I will tend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them and will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, declares the Lord. It's a warning and a promise of judgment that God sees and God will put things right. 
Now, I love this book and this chapter because in this chapter, you see God speaking directly. It says, woe to the shepherds, and it's quoting somebody. Who is it quoting? It's quoting the Father. He says, woe to the shepherd. Every time you see woe in the Bible, that's like, make you should say, woe. Hold up, God. It's a pronouncement of judgment. He's judging spiritual leaders who do the opposite of what God wanted them to do. And God has seen their deeds. What have they done? They scattered. They've driven away. They've not attended. What are biblical leaders supposed to do? They're supposed to be bringing people together. They're supposed to be pushing people to grow in Christ. They're supposed to be caring for their needs. But that's exactly the opposite of what we see here. And what we learn from that is this, that false teaching leads to judgment. Ultimately, false teachers are selfish. They like to seek their own gain at your expense. It's no marvel to me that you go to some churches and they turn in the offering plate around four or five times because they want their gain and they want you to pay for it. Don't come into the church with a pretty wife. Mm -hmm. They want your wife. They want you to pay for her. They want you. They want your stuff. They want the place and honor of the things of God, but they don't want to do the discipline that it takes to get those things. So they say, he said, you're not attending to my people. I'm going to attend to you. God turns the phrase. And he mentions a few things, and he says a lot of I wills. I will gather them from where they're driven. I will bring them back. I will set shepherds. And what God is saying is, I'm going to come down there myself and save my people. Oh, you better mess with my people? Oh, I'm going to get up off my throne. I'm going to come down there and deal with you directly. I'm going to rescue my people from where I have driven them. I judge them, but you're the cause. I'm going to bring them back. I will make them be fruitful and multiply. Oh, where I'm at? Oh, there's always going to be bountiful joy and growth. I'm going to set shepherds who actually care about them, not you. And they're not going to be fearful. They're going to have faith. They're not going to be dismayed. They're going to have hope. And I'm going to care for them. They're going to have love. And so the first four verses are saying that the Lord himself will come down and deal with evil and save his people. And he continues that thought when he gets into verse 5 and he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. It's not enough for me that I set up some other shepherds. I'm going to bring the real shepherd. I'm going to set up a king. Not, no, no, not the king that you're looking at right now. He's worthless to me. I'm not worried about him. Don't think that the current politics are going to save you. Don't think the current reforms are going to do any good. No, I'm not looking for a tax cut. I'm not looking for the next election. No, I'm setting up my own king. He's going to execute justice and righteousness. And then Judah will be saved and Israel will be protected. His name will be the Lord is our righteousness. Because you're going to save the people that don't have righteousness in it and of themselves. But they require him to be their righteousness. And he says further, there's going to be a day when 
People stop looking back to when I saved you from the land of Egypt, and they look towards the day when I saved you from the north country. But I want you guys to look into this and see why people will be offended by Jeremiah. Because that will be like me going into City Hall and saying, hey, one day God is going to rescue the city of Milwaukee. And in that crater right there, God is going to rebuild that into a palace. And they'll be like, but that's not a crater, that's a building. Jeremiah has already seen the downfall of what exists and the recovery of what already exists. So they looking at him like, what about us? He's like, don't worry about y'all, but y'all grandkids, praise God for them. God going to save them. Hey, man, isn't that a blessing? But what about me? There's no hope for you because you ain't going to listen. <laughs> but God got hope for others. That's why they were so mad at the prophets. So you got to understand that. See, half of this chapter is understanding people's reaction to the prophet. I know you're going to look at this chapter and you're going to be like, man, this is a good chapter for you, Brian. This is a good chapter for pastor. This is a good chapter for all the teachers that's going to be meeting this afternoon. No, it's a good chapter for you. Because the people and the preacher are united. I got a responsibility and you got a responsibility, but I'm getting ahead of myself. The point is that God was going to raise up a king for them. And then Jeremiah speaks. He speaks about these prophets that we have right now. And I know he's speaking about his day and age, but when you hear what he's saying, I keep thinking he's talking in 2023. Look what he says. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome with wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. Jeremiah, why, why are you so down, Jeremiah? I've seen God's judgment. Why is God judging Jeremiah? The land is full of adulterers. The land is unfaithful. It's a faithless land. It's a land that doesn't keep its contracts. A land that breaks agreements. A land like the modern age. But a divorce rate is 50%. I think about identity fraud. I think about all the people that break their contracts. I think about all the people that steal from work. We live in a land that's unfaithful. Jeremiah said the land mourns. There was drought. There was famine. But people weren't paying attention to the effects of their sin on the natural world. For Jeremiah, it was very clear to see how the impact of sin was destroying the society. You know, the problem with talking about spiritual things is that people try to act like it's separate from the real world. So you have our city, and they pass a law, or they say, hey, you know what? Instead of thou shalt not steal, thou can get away with stealing. And then you marvel that People are stealing cars at a record rate. As if spiritual things don't have real-world consequences. And I almost hate to call it spiritual things because it's not really a different world. It's the world we live in. Your actions have consequences. Just like in Jeremiah's day, the people's actions had consequences. 
It caused the land to mourn. It caused the curse to spread throughout the land. The pastures got dried up. Their course is evil. Even their might is not right. They're walking on the wrong path, just like we see our own nation. Walking on the wrong path. And then, after Jeremiah said, God speaks. It's almost like Jeremiah's like, man, I can't believe this. And then God is like, pats him on the back, says, even in my own house. He says, both the prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house, I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore, their ways shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness, into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. In the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal, Baal and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me, and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Even the prophet and the priest were ungodly. Even in the temple, they were doing ungodliness. And so God said, I will judge them with slippery paths. That means that the judgment is certain, but the timing is unpredictable. Slippery places. You know, there was an ancient, an old sermon called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. And in that sermon, Jonathan Edwards talks a lot about slippery places. And he talks about this idea that the thing that's scary about the slippery places that the Bible talks about is that you always feel uneasy. It's inevitable that you will eventually fall, but you just don't know when. I remember when we used to play around with our dad when we were younger, and he would say, hey, when you least expect it, expect it. But you kind of get this idea that the judgment is certain. You just don't know when it's coming. It's like a horror movie when you hear the music playing. You know the bad guy is coming. But the people in the scene just don't know. They're in slippery places. The thing that's scary about slippery places is you don't know which step will be your last. Every step you step on is without foundation. You have no reason to trust your next step. You have no reason to trust your last step. Every step could be the last, and every step could be disaster, or it could be a minor disaster. Who knows? You might just slip a little bit, but you might recover. And you might get boastful, but in your confidence, you could step again, and that could be it. Or you could just take one step and wipe out. That's it. The idea is not slippery places as is you walk out on your driveway. It's more like walking on the edge of a cliff. And it's an icy cliff, and it's a dark cliff. And you can't see where you're going next. You can't see the path before you, and there's no one to guide you, and it's on purpose. And as you try to navigate your way into this darkness, which you cannot see front or back, God is watching you, and God is putting more water out there. He's making the path even more and more slippery. 
And he's saying, you're going to fall. I know when, but you don't. He talks about the prophets of Samaria. And I know this can be confusing to us because, you know, we don't always get into our Old Testament history. But you got to understand that Israel fell first. And Israel was an evil country. They worshiped Baal. They immediately left from the worship of the true God, and they set up their own gods. And at first, they originally tried to call it Jehovah, and then after that, they kind of went on their own religious system. And they went into captivity first. And the thing you need to know that's relevant to this passage is the people in Judah always thought they were better than the people of Israel. They all used to say that they don't even worship in the true temple. In fact, if you look carefully in the Bible, you see that continuing on even into Jesus' day. How did they treat the Samaritans? They always thought they were better than the Samaritans. But God doesn't think so. And so he turns their arrogance into a judgment on them. He said, you always thought you was better than them. Mm -hmm. And they were bad. But you were even worse. Because you walk in adultery and you commit lies. And then you strengthen evil. It's scary to me how many people out there are strengthening evil today. People out there say, oh, you want to be a girl today? You can be a girl. Oh, you want to be a boy today? You can be a boy. Where is that? Now, the scary thing is, is I kind of expect that from the world. The world is crazy. But then I hear it from the church. They have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. What's Sodom and Gomorrah like? Sodom and Gomorrah are people who have given in to every form of depravity. Yes, even in abomination. I know we don't want to mention homosexuality in abomination, but the Bible does, so I'm going to just say it. They've given themselves into homosexuality. They've given themselves into sexual assault. That's just okay here. And when you give in to something like that, and then you want to preach judgment on other people. Isn't that what the Sodom and Gomorrah people did? Isn't that what the pride movement does? A whole bunch of people walking, and it's crazy that they name their mom pride when pride comes before the fall. And maybe pride month should be August instead, right? But the point is, is that, I know that was a joke. <laughs> the point is, is that they set themselves up but then they immediately judge other people for doing less. And so he says, I'm going to give you bitter food and poison water to drink. Now, I personally, and this is just my opinion, I'm slipping in there, okay? But I personally believe that the reason that he said poison, water, and bitter food is because that's the reason that they were prophesying in the first place, to feed themselves. That's why people lie. To make money out of you. And he says, I'm a poison. What you work so hard to obtain. So then he goes on and he said, don't listen to these prophets. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesied to you, filling you with vain hopes. They tell you you're doing good, but you're not doing good. They speak visions of their own mind and say, oh, God told me this. God told you nothing. They bless the wicked. They preach that judgment won't come. How many churches do you go to that say, I don't want to talk about judgment? 
Is that good? No, it's evil. That's like passing a bear and saying, oh, go that way, that's fine. They make you feel good. You come into church and you feel better about yourself as you walk quickly down the path to hell. They're useless against the wrath to come. You'll notice that it says, God is speaking in verse 16 and 17, right? And then the prophet, he, he marvels because he looks around and he's like, none of them was with me. Look what he says. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? I was listening. Where were they? I was in class. I didn't see them sitting. Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a world in tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. Here's the analogy he's given. I was with the Lord, and I saw him, and he was concocting this disaster. It looked like a fiery storm. It was basically hell. And I saw it, and I'm looking at it like, whoa, oh my goodness, Lord, where is this going? And he's like, this is going to the wicked. And while I was sitting there marveling at it, these people were pretending it didn't exist. And I had to say, there's no way you could be saying that if you sat in the same council of God that I did. There's no way. It kind of reminds me of the prophet Micaiah. You remember him? King Ahab was preparing to go into battle. And he was like, hey, man, what should I do? And he called all these prophets and all these prophets like, hey, you're going to have a victory, man. We got the victory. They were singing and dancing. They was praising. They had a worship service. I'm sure they was prancing around acting a fool. And it was like the other king, was he, he knew the Lord. He was like, hey, I see you got prophets, but you got any prophets of the Lord in here? <laughs> Ahab was like, yeah, I got one, but I don't like him. He always saying something bad about me. He's like, well, I mean, just, just bring him out. Let's just get another opinion, a second opinion, okay? He come out. He like, yeah, you got the victory. They're like, oh, this dude is clowning us. Be serious, man. Tell us what God really said. He said, well, <sighs> I saw a battle, and after the battle, everybody's like, well, let's go home because... There is no more leader. And he was like, what? The king was like, see, I told you he'd never say nothing good. And then he interrupted and he said, hey, listen. All the spirits was in heaven. And God was like, who's going to help us destroy Ahab today? And everybody was given a plan. Some was saying this and one was saying that. And one said, hey, I'm a lying spirit and I'll talk to the prophets. And God was like, that's a good plan. Go and do it. And that's why the prophets are saying something different than I'm saying. And Ahab was like, look at this fool. There's a hundred dudes over here and there's one over here. I'm going to battle, okay? And put this dude in a dungeon. And when I come back, I'm going to, you know, just feed him with, with water and bread until I come back. And the prophet was like, if you come back, the Lord didn't speak by me. 
And I know that made Ahab even more angry, but he went to battle, and it happened just as that prophet predicted. Beware the prophet that says only good things. I noticed that these prophets have no power. Look what he says in verse 21. The Lord is speaking. I did not send them, but they ran. I didn't speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to the people. If they would have seen the disaster I was cooking up, they wouldn't be playing with you like that. And maybe they could have turned the people from their sins. See, here's the, the, the conclusion from this section is this. If they had truly been in God's counsel, they would have never missed the great judgment he was concocting. There was no way they could have missed it because it was big. Here's another thing. The true prophet actually knows what God is planning. The false prophet plays to the ears of those who hear him. So when you look at the next section, verse 23 through 32, what you need to understand is this. God is saying, they don't know me, so they mischaracterize me. They don't know my word, so they make it up. Look what he says. He starts off the thing with a few questions. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not feel heaven and earth? Here's what the questions mean. Number one is, am I near or am I an untouchable God? Am I just a philosophical God? Am I just a figment of your imagination? I just help people just get through their day better. I help people not go through their nightmares. When they're staring up into the world and they wonder what the meaning of life is, I'm the simple answer that answers everything. Or am I actually nearby? Do I matter? Can you hide from me? Am I a God that cares about morality? Am I a God that cares what you do? So many people say, I don't think God cares who I sleep with. Yes, he does. But you got to ask yourself that question. Do you believe in a God who has moral significance? He says, I feel the universe. Do you believe in a small God or do you believe in a big God who can actually do something? I don't believe God can do that. Then you believe in a small God. You got to ask yourself, what size God do I believe in? Because if you understand those questions, then you will understand God's anger. He says, I have heard. Here's the thing that we as Christians need to understand. We have a God who hears. I've heard. The consequences of encountering a true God is that he hears what people are actually saying. You got a whole bunch of people saying, I heard from God. And God is like, I didn't never spoke to that guy. I don't even know him. And then what Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never even knew you. Imagine how many people are going to be acting like they got credit with Jesus. Jesus is like, I never even met you before. How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Bill? Let the prophet who has a dream tell that dream. But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. 
We got a lot of people that got dreams out there. God says, stop telling your dreams. Tell my word. I got 66 books for you to preach from. That's lots of material for you to work with. And you got people in here talking about, oh, I had a near-death experience, and I'm going to tell you how heaven looks. Fool, you know nothing. A figment of your imagination, a fever dream. Things that contradict with God's given word. Oh, that guy really saw what hell is like. He ain't seen nothing. Why do we need him to see anything when we have the word of God? Jesus told us more about hell than about heaven. And we don't pay attention to that. But somebody tells us they had a dream which they could not be confirmed. And we sit there and believe that. We got people on, on channels calling themselves a Christian channel selling prayer rugs and stuff. You for real? Why do I need that from you? What we have is a whole bunch of scammers in the Christian community. And the sad thing is, is that we are not calling out these scammers. He says, what does wheat have in common with straw? Now, I want you to catch that he is being very sincere here. And this is an encouraging thing. He's saying, what does wheat have in common with straw? What he's saying is, speak my word faithfully and God will show the difference to those who really care about the difference. What does wheat have in common with straw? The people who want to eat will know. He says, what's my word like? Isn't my word like a fire? Now, there's two things about a fire. One is it can burn deep inside. I got a fire that God put in me. It burns deep inside. I got a passion for God's things. If God put that passion inside of you, praise God. But if you don't have that passion, then you'll be burned by it. God's word is like a fire. It burns sometimes. I've been burned sometimes. I praise God for the burns that I've got. Those are the scars of disobedience. They teach me to stop touching the fire, stop getting close to evil. It's like a little kid who burns himself. You'll notice he won't get near the stove no more. Praise God for that wisdom, little kid. That teaches you to stay away from evil. God's word is like a hammer. It breaks through barriers. It puts things in order. It's not always pleasant. The problem with the word is that the word is not always enjoyable. But the word is always good. And so he says, I'm against them. First off, these dudes are thieves. Stealing from one another. They steal the catchphrases of true prophets, right? They say things like, oh, the Lord spoke to me. Oh, I feel the spirit moving. And then the other thing they like to steal is they like to steal the good lies from one another. They hear somebody saying a good lie, they're like, oh, that's a good one. That word, people believe that? I got that one too. And the problem is they spend more time listening to men than they ever spend listening to God. They say it declares the Lord when God didn't declare it. They have lying dreams. And what they do is they lead people astray by their lies and their recklessness because they pretend like God doesn't hear, but he did hear. 
They pretend like God is not going to do anything about it, but he will. See, the real God is nothing like the depiction of him. His word is nothing like the fake representations that they offer. And if they knew the least bit about the real God, they wouldn't be bothered with these fakes. And I think it's also a judgment on the people. Because if you really cared about the difference between wheat and straw, you wouldn't be eating at these places. So the last section is this. Don't pretend to be my prophet. He says, well, one of these people or this prophet or a priest asks you, what is the burden of the Lord? You shall say to them, you are the burden. <laughs> Why were they saying burden of the Lord? Well, there's two ways to look at it. One is, some people were using it to mock God's word. Remember what John says, his command is not burdensome? Well, some, for some people it is. They feel like God's word is just a whole bunch of bricks on their shoulders. Oh my goodness, we got to do this now. Everybody, let's stand up and praise. Oh, we got to stand up and praise. If you feel like that in church, you better watch out. All right, everybody, turn to this passion. Let's read. Oh, we got to turn our Bibles and read. Oh, okay. Everything that somebody asks you to do is like they dragging you across the road. We got to carry you around. And the whole thing about it is you got to ask yourself, if you're not walking by your own will, are you alive? We got a lot of people carrying around somebody's dead body and acting like it's alive in church. Stop carrying these people. Some of the people need to walk on their own two feet. Now, sometimes you'll be surprised. they just been spoiled. There's like a little kid. I seen this at Six Flags. You know, I was pushing a little stroller along, and Wesley was in the stroller. And Wesley is not even two yet, so that, you know, that's fine. And as I was pushing the stroller, I looked across from me, and I saw somebody else pushing the stroller, and a seven-year-old was in there. No, I said, this guy don't even need to be in a stroller. Some people think that's discipleship. That's not good discipleship, okay? That's embarrassing. Let him walk on his own feet. Mm -hmm. He ain't going to be tired when I'm through with him. So, some people use burden to talk about the fact that God's word is burdensome or they mocked it. But other people were using it to steal the catchphrases of the true prophets. The true prophets would say, hey, this is the burden of the Lord. And they're like, oh, I'm going to say that too. And there's a lot of different ways that people will pretend to be prophets. Some of them will adopt Old Testament phrases. Some of them will use the old King James. Just randomly. Right? Some of them will put random numbers in the sermons. I heard a sermon that dude was like, yeah, I feel like Moses was wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And there's 40 people in here who wander in somewhere. And they need to get to the promised land. And all these people are like, amen, oh! And I was like, this guy's lying. How can we confirm that there's 40 people in there who wandered through anything? But he just threw the random number in there and people believed it. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's easy to scam people these days. False promises that people make. If you come to me, you will be healed. You cannot promise that. Here's the thing that's sad about that is, is it, 
gets in the way of God's true will. It might be God's will that you die of cancer. Now, that's sad, but that's reality. You are not outside of God's will just because you got sick. How many people did, people did Jesus heal that were sick, but they were sick all that time until he healed them? Does that mean they were outside of God's will? How many people were blind until Jesus met them? And how many others stayed blind that he never met? People talk about, oh, you got to be rich, and you, and you serve the Lord, you're going to be rich. Jesus wasn't rich. Paul wasn't rich. Peter wasn't rich. Stop. So God says, don't ask no more what the burden of the Lord is. I'm tired of that. Ask what God has spoken. Because people use the burden to cover their lives, and people use this to pervert the God of, word of God, but, and I'm going to judge everything else. Just ask what I said. The conclusion of this section is stop messing with God. Now, in chapter 24 of Jeremiah, he continues things like this. And here's the thing that's weird about it. You will look and you'll say, why a chapter 24 after 23? But here's what happens. He skipped in time so you could already see the confirmation of God's judgment. That they were in exile. Later on in this chapter, a few chapters down the line, some of the prophets die for saying lying things about God. And here's the thing that we should get. God's word is serious, so take it seriously. This passage teaches about a responsibility for the preacher. The responsibility of the preacher is that he must say what God says faithfully. He must listen, study, and speak carefully. He must be truthful. He must have the character to say the unpopular truth. He must love the Lord. He must love the people. You get that. You say, man, praise God. But here's the thing. This chapter has a responsibility for the hearer. The hearer must take God's word as coming from God, not from man. He must pledge himself to faithfully obey what he hears. He must distinguish between a faithful preacher and a faithless one. He must love the Lord, not himself, and he must love God's people. When you look at this chapter and you study it, you'll notice the Lord's name is mentioned 42 times. God says I about himself 31 times, my about myself 22 times. The point is that God is telling us what he wants. And this message is for the modern church. Filled with many people who will speak for God, but precious few have stood in his counsel. So stop hoping that the current politics are going to save us. You know, this is also why the gay and transgender issue is so divisive. Because some people like to preach on this issue because it makes themselves look better. You got on one hand, some people preaching this, but they're not preaching about single parenthood, feminism, sexual immorality, pornography, divorce, lack of commitment to church, because that hits too close to home. But they know they don't got a transgender in their church, so it's easy to talk about that. Other people refuse to take a stand because they're just wicked people. And what we have is a church oftentimes that refuses to take its prophetic place to speak against the culture of today. We need to condemn evil. The main point is that the Lord will judge those who make a mockery of his word. So God's word is serious, so take it seriously. You know, I was looking at this passage and I was thinking about the ideologies or teachings that go against this passage. 
One of them is universalism. We all holy. All of us are God's children. No, we're not. All these churches trying to serve the Lord. No, they're not. You better be careful. Non-judgmentalism, Joel Osteen type stuff, right? I'm not going to preach about God's judgment. Do you see the judgment that God is concocting? Joel? Do you see where this culture is going to? Joel? Do you see people on their path to hell and you're going to sit there and say they're not going there? You're going to encourage them back the way they're coming from? Or are you going to tell them the truth? Brother, I love you. Sister, I love you. But the way that you're going is the path to destruction. You don't have to tell them in a distasteful way. But you do got to tell them if you care about them. This passage goes against all encouragement all the time because what you start to learn is that's just like eating candy every day. Encouragement is good. But encouragement should be based on truth, not a lie. I think about how this passage challenges us that those who misuse spiritual authority will be judged. We get that. But do we get that unfaithfulness in small things is a sign of unfaithfulness in all things? He said we live in a land of unfaithfulness. And what you need to understand, Christian, is that your loyalty, your gossip, your friendship, your marriage, they speak to your desire to have faithfulness. If you're not a loyal friend, you ain't going to be loyal to God. Don't compare yourself with the worst. They compared themselves to the prophets of Israel. Compare yourself to God's standard. Don't listen to the flatterers. They will lead you to destruction. God's commandment is salvation. It's not a burden. I want us to be encouraged that God's judgment is real. That God sees. He's a God who sees. I love how Hagar said that when she was in the desert and she was trying to, she was about to give up. And then God said to her, and she said, this is a God who sees. He saw a little old me, just a slave in the desert. And he saved me. He sees. Here's the other encouragement too. God will make sure there's a distinction between the truth and the lie. Here's the encouraging part. As the world gets darker, the light gets brighter. I believe that God is trying to make a distinction between the true and the lie. And he's making it clear. And I know we deplore the fact that the lie is looking so bad. But you must understand that that just makes the gospel contrast that much sharper. There is some benefit to it. I think we need to change our perspective when we look through this passage. The speaker of the truth must prepare to be unpopular amongst the self-deceived. If somebody's going to be self-deceived, they're not going to like you. And a listener of the truth must prepare to have his illusions cast aside. If you want to listen to good preaching, you might get stepped on a few times. If you're encouraging evil people, you yourself are doing evil. And if you're doing wrong, you deserve to feel guilty. But I want to look at this passage and look at these first four verses again. When God says, woe to the shepherds. And God says, in a sense, don't make me come down there. Because I will deal with you. After that, 
we understand that despite our frustrations, God is the one who's ultimately going to deal with the false prophets and clean up this religion. But after that, in verse 5 and 6, he says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and do wisely, and will execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be safe, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name with which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Jesus said, I send my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and branch of David, the bright and morning star. And God said, Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. And that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Of his increase in his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so we can read in the New Testament. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed and been found in him, not having a righteousness of our own, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so we come back to this passage and read, Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. In those days Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Ultimately, when we see false teaching and prophecy, our hearts yearn for Jesus to come back. And so we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it causes us to yearn for your return. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins because you are our righteousness. We thank you, Lord, that we can look in the Old Testament and see promises of you just as clearly as we can see in the New Testament, promises of what you have done. We pray and thank you for your word. We pray that you would just empower us to stand against this world, to make us stand against evil, Lord, to call out wrong, to encourage the righteous, to help the lowly, to cast down the proud, to build your church. In all these things we pray, amen.